Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the HowDoIRepent.org podcast. It is so good to have you back today with us. And as always, my great friend Dan is with us this morning. Rick had to step away, uh, but don't worry, he will be back. Uh, We are excited to jump into our next chapter on the HowDoIRepent.org podcast, getting into who we are internally, uh, evil inclinations, good inclinations, uh, stepping into that realm, uh, further growing as disciples. And I, for one, love the idea of dissecting and picking apart who I am in order to become uh, a better disciple and grow closer to God. We should always be reflecting on who we are, actions and the steps that we take, And really, is it necessary to always blame everything on some outside force, i.e. the devil or the the spirits, or is it something that is internal within myself? So let's jump into it this morning. This is the HowDoIRepent.org podcast. Hey, good morning, Mike. Dan, good morning, my friend. It is so good to see you and to, uh, to have you on again, as always. Um, what, what, where are we going today? What, what, where does our journey take us today? Well, I want to start with talking about what's inside of us and which from a Jewish perspective, it's called the Yetzirah or the evil inclination. Okay. Let's just start with Romans. We'll see what Paul says about it. In Romans seven, Paul makes a statement. He says that, you know, I do what I don't want to do. And he goes on and he says, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. It is no longer I myself that do it. So let's break that down. That that might be a little bit confusing. What what If you could spell it out, because I know that Paul was a little bit difficult to understand. Even the disciples were like, man, this guy is hard to understand. So what, what does that mean if we were to put that into, I guess, for myself, uh, layman's terms? Genesis 6 and in Genesis 8, it makes reference to an evil inclination. It talks about the imaginations of the heart is evil. You know, from a Jewish perspective, uh, evil inclination, everybody has an evil inclination. It's it's a part of us. You think about like, if I work out, I have to use weight to work out with. So I have to have some kind of resistance. So God gives us this resistance inside of us that causes us uh it forces us to work out basically it's it's giving us uh this pushback and so because everything's really about our will like our free will we get the we get the ability to make a decision so there has to be something but you know there's a there's a difference so there has to be something counter to the good that could possibly be in order to help us to grow and to understand what good is you can't understand what good is unless there is evil Right. And it's not a, it's not a demonic force. And I think a lot of times people say, well, the devil made me do it. This, and this evil inclination isn't really, it's not the devil in, you know, against you. It's just a, you know, I looked up, there was a definition I saw on a, a website. It was just really good. It says it's not a demonic force, but man's misuse of the things in the physical body that we need to survive. So let's just look at this. God gives us things that we need to survive in this world. You know, we need food. But if we eat too much food, it hurts us. So what happens is we start misusing that ability to nourish ourselves and to survive. You know, take it at a different extreme. Um, let's look at, um, let's look at sex. It's used as a commandment, God says, to procreate and multiply. But if we take it too far, well, it, now we've taken something God's given us to do a commandment 
and we misuse it and it becomes an evil in our life and something that that will hold us against or hold us from understanding God. Sure. So it, so it'd be my own determination if I want to take something and pollute it, you know, something that is beautiful and you bring up sex or you bring up, you know, the food, um, anything in life, you know, your, your, your status of power over a group of people as a leader, you know, taking something pride and, and really adding too much weight to that, to that side of it. And, and all of a sudden it becomes, it becomes something that can be destructive, right? Yeah. Even the study of the word of God and, and, and bringing in, you know, and I, I heard you refer to it before and I agree with that is, is being a thief. You know, it, you're robbing somebody, um, because you're going too far. You're taking a translation that might not be correct or you're discerning that it's, it's, it might be this, but it's definitely not. And, and all of a sudden it becomes confusing and it turns people off. So there are so many areas of life where you could take that model and say, am, am I exaggerating or emphasizing something or, or am I taking it too far? Or am, am I, am I adding, you know, something that is not of God to it? And now all of a sudden, like you said, and, and I always say you're planting seeds of, of, uh, you know, destruction instead of seeds of life, you know, well, just, yeah, it's, and it's all about seed time and harvest. I mean, we're, God gives us commandments to produce eternal life. And just going back to this example of having a baby, you know, procreating, God gives everybody the commandment to pro, you know, to create life. Well, what are you doing when you're creating a baby? You're creating an eternal life in that baby. And so it's, that's just, that's one of the, the, the easiest ways to look at this. But when God gives us these commandments and these instructions, they are for the seed time and harvest. I mean, it's, it, we're planting seed and we're giving it time to grow and then we're going to produce fruit from it. If, and I love, I love how you put that, Dan. You know, there is, and we were talking about this last night in a discussion. Um, you know, you can plant seed that will grow in an incredible crop and, and, and have an incredible harvest, but you can also plant seed of destruction. And, and I kind of look at that as, you know, growing up on a farm, you can, you can plant that corn seed, but you can also, uh, you know, have weeds that start to develop. And it, so I don't want to get too far off on that. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. And I believe that that all comes from out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks is, is if we're erring on the side of evil, if we're choosing something that's bad, well, then that infects and that impacts Everything that we say and do, right? And well, instead of being an agent for God, we become an agent for you know the other side. Right. I was I want to give a little perspective I heard from a parable just to kind of look at how God looks at this, and it, I thought it was great. There was a there was a king who had honey, and this honey was so precious to this king. I mean, it was like the best honey ever, and he had it he had it stored away. He protected it day and night. And, you know, it was just one of the most valuable things to this king. And one day the king had to take a journey and he was going to be gone for a few months. And so he got his most trusted servants and he, 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 he brought three of them in and he said, guys, I've got these three barrels of honey. They're the most precious treasured item that I have. And I want you to protect them and keep safe until I get back. And, and if you do that, I'll reward you. And so he goes on his journey and he comes back three months later and then he calls his servants. He says, Hey, bring me my honey. And the first guy comes in and he, he brings in the barrel and, and the, the servant looks and says, I, I didn't touch it. I protected it. And here you go. I returned it just as you gave it to me. And the king looked at it. He said, oh, yes, this is exactly how I gave it to you. And he gave him a thousand dollars. 
Well, the second guy comes in, and he came in with his barrel, and it was empty. And he said to the king, he said, oh, king, he said, I, I tasted this, and it was the best honey ever, and I couldn't stop eating it. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Have mercy on me. And the king looked at the executioner. He said, off with his head. And he went over there and struck him, and he was he was down. And then the third guy comes in. And he says, Oh Majesty, here you go. Here's your here's your barrel. And the king looked at it and he saw the seal was broken. And then he opened a lid and it looked like it was all there. The servant said, he said, Majesty, he said, I, I, I couldn't take it. I had to look at this and I had to taste it for myself because I heard how so wonderful this was. And he goes, I tasted it, but as soon as I tasted it, I under I I remembered what you said about this and how it was so precious to you, and I shut it and I didn't take any more. And the king said, "Well done, servant." And he gave him a hundred thousand dollars. And the and the first the first servant walked up and said, "But I didn't even touch it. You gave me a thousand dollars." He said, "Oh, but this servant tasted it and tried it. But yet he had a, such a fear that he didn't partake of it. And that's more valuable to me than anything." That so we're was, so we're equating the honey to to sinful nature, to sin, to giving into you know. There's something that is laid out before us that looks good, that is tempting. Uh, and, and are, are you saying that it is, it is better to engage in something? It's more righteous to engage in something and, and turn away from it and not indulge yourself versus not even getting into it at all. Yeah. That, that, that's what free will is. You, you get mm -hmm. a taste of it. And so in this world, we, we get a taste of sin and then it's okay. What are we going to do with that? And, and I heard a rabbi say one time that, and it didn't make sense to me when I first, when I first heard it, but as I've gone, it, it makes a lot of sense. He said that a sinner who turns from sin and does repentance, complete repentance, is better than a righteous person. Because mm -hmm. when he goes and stands in front of judgment, because he had the opportunity to indulge in sin, he tasted it, he or she tasted it, they tried it, but yet they turned back to God. And that is a greater position. They'll, they'll have a better understanding of God's mercy. They'll have a better understanding of God in that position versus somebody who never even tasted sin. Sure. And, so, so taking it back to the weightlifting, I love, I love weight, you know, lifting weights and, you know, somebody, you could be a healthy person. Maybe this doesn't, maybe this doesn't apply, but you know, you can be a healthy person and not face resistance at all. But at the same time, you're going to be stronger, more agile, more ready for the next uh, evolution, if you will, or or circumstance, you're going to be a stronger person, both in body and in mind and in spirit, if you are tested and if you are shown uh, that that you can overcome and that you can lead and that it just makes you a a more experienced uh, person, a stronger person. Uh, is is that kind of where you're going with that? Yeah, it, it's your you know we all we all come into this world and you know there's even a scripture that talks about we're born into sin and I mean there's I, I know there's a lot of different teachings on that but the idea is we're born into this world we're 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 given the test of sin and we have to make a decision in our life that no this is not the path we want we want to go after God and we're not necessarily saying well you, you know you must dive into sin in order to be righteous we all are are confronted with sin every day pride something is as small and insignificant, you know, as, as, you know, we're not talking about the big ones, you know, and I always kind of, kind of um, put it to this, you know, we, we, we label those in, in the church world, like, well, the homosexuality and the, and the, the, the sexual sin and all of these big ones, but we, we're talking about these little tiny micro uh, decisions yeah. that you make in, and it leads into, but we're talking yeah. about 
the whole cosmos of, of, or collection of, if you will. Yeah, every day, every day you have an opportunity. Mm-hmm. You could gossip about somebody, which can destroy them. You, which is really murder, right? You, murdering you're your murdering, character, right? You're yeah, you're murdering somebody's character. Mm-hmm. You know, when you choose, when you make an oath and say, "Hey, I'm going to do this," and then all of a sudden you don't do that, well, that's you're you're breaking an oath, which is a sin. You know, we we may not look at that as a sin, but it's really lying. See, that's something that that I've I've been thinking of, and you know, there is this overarching: we don't, we shouldn't be sinning. But I I think that begs the question, and we and we hit that the last podcast. Uh, if you're listening now, go back. If you haven't listened to that podcast, what is sin? And and really determining according to God's constitution, to God's directive, what sin is. It really starts to open up your eyes to every word you say. I heard it. I heard it said that, you know, God created the world by his word. There is something so powerful about the words we speak. Well, go back through your life and, and see how you interact and how you engage people and, and what's said and what's produced and where is that coming from? And, and really it's taking into account, you know, an inventory of ourselves, which gets us back to the evil inclination about the things in our, we have an opportunity and a decision to make every breath we take. Either we're going to be honoring God or we're going to be dishonoring God. One will produce life, one will produce death. A a problem that I've seen and even in my life, you know, there was a time where I try to spiritualize what sin is. And, you know, it's trying to take it to this point where it's like, oh, this is what I understand it to be. Or there was a time in my life where I thought, well, if the pastor's not saying this, or if, if a prophet's not coming and really lining this out is what sin is, then it's really kind of a subjective thing. And what happens is it becomes spiritual. And, and, and I, and that's really, I think it's, it's a big problem in our society because, you know, God gave us these instructions and he gave us this intellect that we are supposed to use to work through this. And last week we, we talked about how you can take, you know, you can take 18 years. I mean, the Jewish people t- take their kids through an 18 year process of understanding the word, the Torah, the Mishnah, you know, the oral teaching, the, the commentary on, you know, the last 2000 years of what other people, how do they, how do they implement this? And, and so there's a process of intellect that we, that we're given that God gives us in, as we understand it, we have to take the time to practice it. And sure, but you said something very, very profound, Dan, and, and I and I actually I really love it. And I hope you, uh, you, our listeners, caught that. Are you determining what is right and wrong, what is sinful and what is not, through the words of of a leader, or through the words of a pastor, or through the words of a prophet? That that your entire basis for character. And living your life according to God, does that only come through the interpretation of another? And how do you know that that interpretation is correct? And, and I like to tell people when I'm, when I'm, uh, you know, discipling or what have you, you have to go back to the source. You have to go back to the determination, the, the objective, not subjective of what somebody might think and how they might interpret it and then preaching it or teaching it in a very dynamic and vibrant way that you have to go back and measure. And that, my friends, listen to this carefully. It is so important. It is vital that you know the truth as it is written in the word of God. Then you can measure, right? The Bible says, test the spirits. You can measure everything 
against that truth. And if it doesn't hold water, you do not allow it into your life. And if it does, you go ahead and apply it and allow that seed to grow and to produce fruit in your life. But if you are simply merely going off the words, and even even this podcast, we want you, and I know I said it at the beginning, to ask, seek, and knock. You must go back and you must determine for yourself, but you need to make sure that you're looking at it from the perspective as it was written. And that's why we're so firm and, and strong in believing that truth is not subjective, but some reason it's become. And you know what, Dan, going back to the evil inclination and who we are, it's always going to be met with that. It's always going to have that yeah. essence, that filter that we're looking through. And we yeah. must be careful of that. Yeah, it's, it, you know, I'm just thinking about Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. Moses makes a statement and he says, if a prophet or one who for, you know, foretells by dreams appearing among you and announces to you signs and wonders, if the signs and wonders take place and the prophet says, let us follow other gods or, you know, and let us worship them, not, and not listen to the words, you know, you're not to listen to those. Right. They're false prophets, essentially. Yeah. So he, he's making a very clear statement. And he goes on down here, and you you look at go go look it up Deuteronomy thirteen one through five, saying if somebody's teaching something other than what Moses is teaching, even if he does signs and miracles, he's a false prophet. So you you can't. So you, so you wait, can't, you're saying that God can use people that aren't necessarily men of God, but He's using somebody. And, and because we know that the signs and wonders don't come from, I mean, there's something that is produced supernaturally. Right. So you, and can, does God use people who are, who are wicked to, to do these things in order yes. to draw attention to themselves? 100%. You, you have an example of that? Balaam and it's starting in the Torah. I mean, it, Balaam is, when you go and read the story, and there's a couple other places in, this, in the scripture, and even in the New Testament in Jude, it refers to Balaam. Balaam was somebody who could hear God. He actually talked to God, and God talked back to him. There was a side of him that he wanted to go curse Israel. He he wanted to go against God, and then God actually took a a, a mule and put it in front of him. And and then you know Balaam's like, um, hey, why are you doing? It? He, it wasn't like Balaam's like, what the heck is this mule talking? To me? I mean, you there's little traces of things through the scripture that you see that Balaam he he was a very spiritual guy. It didn't even bother him that his donkey was talking to him. God spoke to him. And then if you just read it at face value, it's like, okay, hey, this ended. He blessed him. And actually, Balaam prophesied the, about the Messiah. But then, as you keep reading the scriptures and you start understanding Balaam, he got Balak to basically send women and pervert Israel. Right. This is a, this is a, this is a false prophet. This is a, a wicked person who hurt Israel in his whole motivation was to go curse him. But yet God was speaking to him. So the answer is 100%. Yes, God will speak. It, it, and it's, that's, what, it's kind of a fearful thing. And, and what it does is should put a thought in your head like, am I really hearing God or is it me? And it's something that, you know, that wow. I that just personally wow. in my life, but you know, the last, the last 10, 15 years, I mean, I, I've just been so cautious, like, you know, because God gives us this ability to understand him and he, he wants us to use our intellect to do it. And, you know, and, and there's a scripture in Micah 6, 8, it says like, what does the Lord require of you? And it's to act justly, to love mercy and to walk, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, to act justly means you need to understand what is just so you can act in it.
you know, and to love mercy is you're not taking all this fact and this justice and slamming it on people, but it's walking in gentleness and in kindness and mercy towards others. And most and then, of all, humility, right? Yeah, well, humble, it's being humble with what I understand. It's right, not using right. it as a force. It's not saying, hey, I know more than you, and this is the way it should be, and this is the way you should do it. No, it's being humble with what you understand and understanding that people are just in different stages in this world. Instead of setting yourself apart as the one who has, you know, the, the complete understanding, which you will never hear neither Dan or myself or Rick say that we do, we're trying to work through this. But come, come together, brothers, and let us reason together, you know, that, that we are working through it humbly, that we do not definitively say, like, this is, this is what we believe, so you should believe it too. It is up to you to go back and measure it against the word. But, you know, Dan, that's why I'm very reluctant when people say, well, I'm a prophet, or, or I, I've heard from God, or this is what God says. If I were to say something along those lines, I would say, well, this is what I believe God may be saying, but then I have to measure it against scripture. And then I have to measure the outcome. I don't want to be in that place of Balaam and saying, well, I, I've heard from God. This is what you need to do because the majority, you know, of, of, you know, it, which I'm a pastor, you know, the, the, the teachers, the pastors, you know, say, I have the truth. Well, if you look, is the truth leading you to repentance? Or is it leading you to to just feel good about the sin that you're living in or the decisions that you're making um, or who's the president, you know, whatever. And and all of a sudden it causes no change. It causes no redirection. And it basically keeps you in the same place that you've always been separated from from God when there's an opportunity to come even closer to God. So I'm very reluctant to, to listen to, well, God said this. Um, now there are those moments, but if, if you're listening to somebody, my friends, or you have somebody who is, you know, online or, or, or in the church, whatever, saying, this is what you must do. Well, I would then say to you, you have to make sure before you allow that into your life to fall on fertile soil, you have to make sure that that is not something that is simply coming from somebody's interpretation or, the met with the evil inclination and, and producing some sort of bad fruit, you have to make sure that you're measuring it with truth because it will bring destruction in due time. I have three examples that I think that we could talk about just in from here to the end and really kind of sum up this whole conversation. And it, it really starts with God has created a framework for us to follow. And we have 3,500 years of example uh, of, you know, from the time of Abraham. Well, from the time of Genesis, I mean, one, really, we have that example. But but there is clear history. There's teaching, especially through the, I mean, this is why you want to connect with the Jewish people, because they have they have the the, the understanding and they have the, the whole history of everything from the very beginning for the last 5,783 years of, you know, how we got here. Through this process that God laid out in this framework, he's given us instructions on how to work through the process of repentance every single year. And, you know, Jesus' message in the gospel, and so was John, was to repent, for the kingdom is at hand. So there's a process to this repentance. 
And so what God laid out, and it's in Leviticus 23, it's also in the book of Numbers. There, there's different places through the Bible, and you'll see this through history. But God laid out these these festivals, these feast days, and, and it really starts on a daily basis of praying with God. But, I mean, if you go to Leviticus 23 from the very beginning, you'll see that God laid out a Sabbath. He laid out a day every single week, and he said, hey, this day I want you to come to me, and I want you to rest, and I want you to, to meditate on my ways. And God, and, and you know, when the people went to Moses and said, hey, how do we do the Sabbath? You know, he gave them oral instructions, which is followed to this day. Now, as a Jew, there's more of a... A requirement. There's more of a liability to the Sabbath. There's because it was a sign of the covenant that God made with them. So it's not necessarily the same thing as for a non-Jew. But God makes it clear in Isaiah 56 that the non-Jews who observe the Sabbath, that God will give them a special place in his temple. Right. When we say observing the Sabbath, then we're talking about setting that time apart, uh, engaging in your relationship with God more more now that you're 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 receiving from the Lord and I and I heard it said best actually by you and and I actually I, I tell this to people all the time I think it's the greatest uh, way to to put this is that you know God set up a coffee date and and, and I know it's way more powerful than that so please uh, hear me out that He set up a time and He said I want you to meet me here um, on Friday night. And I want to spend that time with you. And then Saturday, I'm going to give you a double portion of, of, of that, that anointing, uh, revelation, what have you. And then he says, I'm going to be here and I want to spend that time with you. And then all of a sudden, you know, we say, well, no, I'm going to show up on this day or I'm going to, I'm going to take my Sabbath this time. But then again, we're taking something and we're, we're, we're translating it wrong. And then we're saying, no, we're going to do what we want. We're going to act on what we want. I don't know if, or I don't believe God is not distant and saying, well, you're, you're not, you're not going to, to hear from me during the rest of the week, but it's more of, this is the time that I set up. If you're not at the coffee shop at this time, you're not going to receive what I want to give to you. It, does that, does that resonate? Yeah. Does that make sense? And, yeah. and so that, that really calls into question, are you setting that time apart or is it more of, I'm going to take through that filter of the evil inclination that I'm going to take that and say, well, I'm going to add whatever I want to it. And I'm going to do what, what I feel as long as I feel relaxed. Well, that's not the point of it. The point well, of it is to separate, which means separation means holiness, separate that time and give it completely to God. Yeah, the, the, there's a couple of examples and I, I'll go back to them here in a minute, but just talking about uh, Korah in the Bible, he was one that said, Hey, you know, Moses, you're not the only holy person or Aaron's not the only holy person. I'm holy also. And it, it was kind of like that attitude, like, uh, I don't have to listen to your advice and your instructions. God loves me just as much as he loves you. And that mm -hmm. was Cork's issue. And then there was Jeroboam, who actually was a king and said, you know what? We don't have to follow the way God wants us to follow. And he, he was actually, he, today he is even seen as the poster child for the Antichrist. He's somebody that took what God did and he changed it. And I want to go back to these points, but before I do, I just want, I want to lay out the rest of these because the Sabbath is the first one because all these festivals have a Sabbath in them. 
So you, you got to understand the Sabbath in order to understand the festivals. And I've heard multiple pastors preach on the festivals and they don't include the Sabbath. And that's a big issue. So, so Dan, doesn't it, doesn't it also say that regardless of, of how we interpret it, uh, I, I believe it's Leviticus 23 that the festivals and, and the feasts are to be observed for all time. Let's go to that. Yeah, there's there's multiple times that God says this is to be a lasting ordinance for generations to come. Right. That's what I was trying to hit on. Right. So this this is something that does not go away. Yeah, no. And even in even in Zechariah 14, when which is a a time when the Messiah comes back, that the Lord will come back with all his saints with them. It, it describes them, you know, Jesus setting up a kingdom. And even in it later on, it talks about they'll keep the festival of Sukkot, you know, and it says if they don't, they're going to get the plague of Egypt. So the, these festivals are here, even when Jesus comes back and reigns for a thousand years, that these feasts will still be going on. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, you know, until this world passes away, there's not a, a jot or a tittle that is going to be done away with. Now, there, there's questions among the rabbis, like, are all the festivals going to take place during that time? You know, which just kind of takes us down this point to look at them. There's spring festivals and you have fall festivals. When you look at the life of Jesus, you'll see that he fulfilled and he the, the spring festivals have already happened. You know, Passover that's the that's the time of when Israel was taken out of Egypt. So that's a redemption time. But every year you can come to this point and you go, I need to overcome something. I need to overcome an addiction. I need to overcome this sin. And you can look at it and say, you know, this pa- Passover, this Pesach, I'm going to overcome this. And, and really what it is, and I heard a rabbi say one time it was really good. It's like you get a, a, a 99% discount <laughs> on these days. God's like, I'm going to give you extra strength on these days. These are my appointed time. And it's the same with Sabbath. Every Friday that we have a time where God's like, I'm bringing you an extra anointing for you to grow in your life and to grow in your spiritual life and with your walk with me. And so so in the spring, you, you've got Passover, which starts with a Sabbath. You have a Sabbath meal. You have a, It's a Sabbath. And then after that, you have uh, seven days of Feast of Matzah. There's a festival of Shavuot, which is the day of Pentecost, which is the day where Israel, the children of Israel, receive the Torah. So it's kind of like the climax, and and it's actually something that that probably happens very similar to what we read in Acts two, because there was a loud rushing wind, there was a sound of a trumpet, um, the reading the Torah from the Jewish perspective, you'll see you could see that God gave the Torah in in multiple languages so everybody would understand it. So it's it's very similar to what happened in Acts two. So which is which is a key day. So we just work through this this you know coming out. We're we're overcoming sin. You know we're coming to this point, but we're actually being led up. And there's a there's a 49 days of counting the Omer, which is 49 days of preparation to get the instruction to get the Torah. So that that's a key point right in the middle of these festivals. It's a, it's a time which when, I like that they're they're all involving food, right? Yeah, every single one of these, it, it has food. And, you know, if you think God gives us food to nourish us, and in these, there's a blessing we say when we're eating this food. And it's and it's a special blessing uh, that, that was there was always blessings. But during the time of Ezra, Ezra really refined them. And a lot of things that do, the Jews do today, it's basically Ezra really had, he put a good, uh, a, a good foundation. And it's what people... 
uh, follow today, a lot of the instructions. And even during the time of Jesus, the apostles, uh, you know, there's, there's things that they, they want the Jewish holidays. And there's actually history that, that teach that Peter and Paul wrote the, the writing that is said during the fall festival, which is on Rosh Hashanah, which is the next one that I was talking about. It, it's a time every fall where it's the Feast of Trumpets. It's where they remember that God spoke to them on Mount Sinai. That's how he spoke. It, it sounded like a trumpet. And, and it's also, it's a time, uh, there's a 30 day period of time before that, that people are preparing themselves for this day because on this day, um, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a teaching about how the king comes out that day and you can talk with the king. You can lay your case before the king. So you're coming prepared to go meet the king. And then 10 days after that is Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. And that even says this is a statute forever. So it's a day where God says, hey, I want you to take this one day every year and I want you to fast. I want you to sit back and I want you just to the to come to me and the and in the Jewish world Yom Kippur service is it's like you imagine you're at a courtroom the whole day is going on you're you're asking you're pleading for forgiveness the you're at the courtroom and at the end of court the gates close and that time to come before the king is over and it's it's a powerful time I remember the first time I had our Yom Kippur service I was so into it. It was, man, I was, I was really, I felt like it, talk about being in the presence of God. I, and then all of a sudden you hear the chauffeur blast. <laughs> it was, it was like the end, the gates had shut. You're like, oh man, it was so powerful. I mean, I started crying and it, it was just a powerful Yom Kippur service. And then, and, and even you have a, they have a dinner before the Yom Kippur service because you're going to fast for 24 hours. And then you have a dinner afterwards, you have breakfast, you know, there's different traditions, but, but it's a time that you're coming and you're just laying out your heart to God and you're saying here, you know, I, I don't deserve this and I ask for your mercy. And then after that, the last festival is Sukkot, it's the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a celebration of the day that one day the king's going to dwell with us. He's going to reign as king. He's going to bring world peace. And so this, this, these feasts go on throughout the year and it's a time that we get to, we can grow every year. So, so I'm going to throw some, I'm going to throw some fastballs at you. I want to do it, do it one at a time. I had three thoughts. Um, and the first one, all of these, all of these feasts and festivals, uh, could, could be described as a representation of something, something supernatural, something of the kingdom, right? The kingdom that has not yet come, but the kingdom is coming. We are preparing for the future. Is that, is that safe to say? Yeah. It's a practical way to rehearse them every year. Okay, so so we, without understanding, you know, we're, we're talking about Almighty God. We're talking about, and that's why Jesus had to bring things into parable. He had to bring things into to to um, a substance that we could understand, right? So these are a, a representation of of something that is supernatural, something that is of God that we can't necessarily understand just with explanation. We have to engage in something that will help us to understand. And I love how you laid this out. You're talking about the Sabbath, meeting with God, redemption. You're talking about Pentecost and, and um, you know, placing it on the altar. This is what I want to change about myself. And Rosh Hashanah, you know, the king is coming out. We have to we have to come to the king and lay our case before him. And he's given us that that extra kind of push, that strength. And 
and, and atonement and saying, man, I, so, so this is what I want to ask, you know, how do you put the Jesus did it all? Um, Jesus, Jesus fulfilled all of this. There's no need to do it. And because he already has done it with the, these are statutes for all time, which the second portion of that question is, as a Gentile, as somebody who's not under that that uh, stipulation, that mandate as to do, what do we do? So the first part of that question is, didn't didn't Jesus come and and fulfill all of this so we don't have to take part in it? But then I'm I'm confused at the part of we have to do this. This is a statute. This is a ordinance for all time, and it doesn't just segregate Jew, but there's Gentile involved in that as well. Am I correct in that statement? Okay, so the, the, the part Jesus did this and fulfilled all this so we don't have to do that, that's made up. That, that is, I, I, you know, I, I, I hear it all the time. Jesus did it and fulfilled it, and therefore we are his servant. We are to do it and fulfill it. But we do it and fulfill it in the jurisdiction that we're in. If we're a Jew, we don't have, we, we have an obligation to do it as a Jew. If we're not a Jew, then we, and you're attaching yourself to Jesus, why are you attaching yourself to Jesus if you're not going to partake in the covenant that he has, he has instantiated or he brought forth and he has, he has sealed through his death? So do I need to do this? And, and I, I think the, the bigger question is, do I want to do this? And should I want to do this? If I am a follower of Jesus, I want to know everything about him and what he did. Uh, in order to have that access to God, shouldn't that be our desire is to know God? Why is there a fight against knowing God at a deeper level while saying, I, I don't need to do this? Well, I personally, I want to do this. So does it require us to become Jewish? No, it, it, it doesn't. You don't have to become Jewish. But what happens is when you're partaking in it, you, you, you do have to connect yourself to, there's going to be, you're going to connect yourself to Jewish history. You're going to, you're going to attach yourself to the Jewish people. There's some way that you're going to attach yourself to what, what has been laid out for the last 3,500 years. Why, of right. Why such, why such an emphasis on, on Judaism? Because um, God gave the Jews the, the Torah. He gave them the understanding. And even Paul said it. I mean, they, 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 the Bible was written by the Jews. So right, if you heard it said that, that, that Jesus, our Messiah, the ones that, you know, say, I, I am, I am a friend of, of Jesus. I am a disciple of Jesus. That holds a lot of weight. When you sign your name on that dotted line, so to speak, and you say, I am leaving my former life. I am coming under this rabbi, Yeshua, Jesus. Um, I, I heard it said that Jesus was born a Jew. He learned as a Jew. He grew up as a Jew. He died as a Jew, buried as a Jew, resurrected as a Jew, and is coming back as the Jewish king. Um, should that not be something that we put at the forefront and say, what does that look like? What do I, as a disciple, need to do to honor that? Yeah, and that this is what's going to lead into this last point. There, there's a there's a important message in the book of Kings that I think is looked over. And I heard my daughter's pastor give talk about this, and it really hit me and is, is really stuck. It's talking about the story of King Jeroboam. There's, so you have King David, which if you believe in Jesus, you're, you're believing. You remember the covenant, one of the covenants was that God promised David that there would be an heir through his, through his children. 
and especially through Solomon to reign as king. That's, that's where as a Christian, you are saying, I accept that covenant, which is really the old covenant. You're saying, I accept the old covenant that Jesus, that our Messiah is coming through King David. Okay. So then there was another king, Jeroboam. During, during the time of Jesus, there were people that didn't believe in resurrection. There were people, Pharisees who did, Sadducees did not. So there's always been kind of this split. And there's a, there's a story about the Samaritan woman and they believe that, uh, that they were to worship on a different mountain. And then, but God had, you know, had said, Hey, I want you to worship in Jerusalem. And so, and even today, there's millions of people that will say that the Temple Mount is not on the Temple Mount. <laughs> They'll say it's in, you know, it's somewhere else. And so there's a whole debate on that. So you just got to understand there's a spiritual force working. And in the Bible, it says, you know, it talks about the spirit of Antichrist. It's, it's always present. And I, I mean, I've Googled it. I've looked. It's all, there's all kinds of people talking about, oh, the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well today. Well, let's just look at the story of King David and Jeroboam. King David laid out the, the whole book of songs, he, their prayers that they, they prayed in the temple. So David laid all of this out. He said, Hey, this temple's coming. He started designing it. And then his son actually built it. They used even to this day, you know, the, the Psalms are a key part of the whole temple service. They're a part of the daily prayers, uh, that's prayed every day from, you know, by observant Jews. You know, so there's this process and we accept Jesus through this process. But then you have Jeroboam who said, you don't have to do the festivals on this day. In fact, he changed the festivals. And then ultimately he said, you know what? You don't have to worship God on the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount's not on the Temple Mount. That's a bunch of, you know, whatever. And, and, he, and he started making up. Yeah, he started putting up that. Look, this is what the, the, Jeroboam was the, that's why he said earlier, he was the poster child for the Antichrist. He's somebody that takes and it just changes what God does. And, it, and it's a very important thing when coming to start to understand God's commandments. You've you got to look and you can't make this subjective thought and say, oh, this is what it means and it's okay. Because if you go back to the book of Jude, in verse 11, Jude makes a very clear reference in here to, you know, to this whole, this whole thought process. And he says in verse 11, it says, woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korach's rebellion. And, and I mean, he goes in here and he's basically saying, man, he said there's a coming wrath for these people. It, it's like it's so important not to sit there and try to say, oh, I have it figured out and I'm going to do my own thing. Because that's what most that's what a lot of pastors do. They They get this thought and they're like, oh, well, this is what it means. And so they teach people that. And, and what happens is there, there's a scripture in Second Thessalonians and Paul said, you know, don't be deceived, you know, for that day will not come until the man of sin, the, the, you know, be revealed. And, and, and basically it's talking about this Antichrist being revealed. And the scary thing is it says God will send them a strong delusion because they did not accept the truth with love. Mm. And, and, you know, and Paul said, you know, he'll set himself up as God, declaring that he is God and he's lawless. Well, what is lawless? Lawless is not following the laws of God. And, that, and so that, that term right there, that that word lawless seems to be um, either diluted or removed from from Scripture when being read. You know, apart from me, you who practice lawlessness, law, you know, lawlessness, lawlessness it means that you're not following the laws as they were given. And and so so I wanted I wanted to hit on that. You know, the spirit of the Antichrist, I, I think. 
or, or I, I would know just from kind of going through, you know, modern day, uh, religious culture that it, it's always seems to be we're looking for somebody, uh, who is the Antichrist. This guy's the Antichrist. This, well, really the spirit of the Antichrist is moving and doing and operating, um, and really not giving any, it's not given any credence. Like we need to make sure that we are testing these spirits. We're making sure that we're testing this quote unquote truth, because if it's not the truth as given by God, well, you make the determination. It's, it's the, the Balaam truth given by, you know, that spirit of the Antichrist. That, that's really, uh, uh, wow, that, that kind of makes you think. Um, well, think about what is think the spirit about, of the Antichrist alive and well in the church? Yes, it, it is. Think about so if if you if you are preaching something, remember we went back, go back to what Moses said in Deuteronomy. We were talking about. He said if someone comes preaching something other than you know what what he taught, and they do signs and miracles, then it, you know it, because they're teaching something different, they're a false prophet. So if somebody doesn't take the time to learn the word of God and, and they keep sin at a subjective level, well, what it does, it opens the door for them to listen to whatever they want to listen to. And all of a sudden, most people are so busy with their work and everything else, they don't take time to learn. And then all of a sudden they get led to different, they get led astray. And if you look at, just look at the primary message that, you know, we, we've heard why, you know, one of the things that really motivated us to start having these podcasts is there's so much teaching in the church that is talking about saying, hey, the Jesus you're going to look for when he comes, he's lawless. He doesn't follow the Torah and you don't have to follow it either. Think about that. They're, they're preparing people to look for somebody who has done away with the Torah. Well, what did Paul say? It says God will send them a strong delusion because they did not believe the truth with love. And we have pastors who are not taking the time to connect with the Jewish people to understand what has been laid out for the last 3,500 years. They're taking what they feel is right. They're listening to the pastor who taught them, who felt what they, you know, what they came up with. They're not following sound doctrine, and they're doing all kinds of miracles and signs. They're doing exactly what Moses told and said, these people who do that are false prophets. Now, I'm not saying every pastor is a false prophet. Right, right. I'm saying you've got to come to the point where you understand what is right and wrong, and you can't do it through a, you know, a feeling or a spiritual thing. It, it's, it's a fact. It's intellect. You know, and, and that's what God wants. He wants us to be smart. You know, it, it, it talks about, you know, it's because of their lack of knowledge that they perish. It's so, not having a basis of truth to measure anything off of. And that's really, as I'm listening to this, it, it is very, um, it, it almost puts you back. Like you said in the beginning of the podcast, you know, Balaam was one that did miracles and he did these great things and he spoke with God. That really, you have to now turn it inward and say, man, if God is speaking to me, what is he saying? And is, is it, can it be measured up against truth? And, and can it, can it be something that maybe is not of God? That, that's a really uh, difficult thing to swallow. But then that comes back to being humble and saying, you know, there is always an opportunity for me to grow. And, and my friends, you're, you're listening today. What we are not saying is that your pastor is under the spirit of the Antichrist. We're not saying, your church is, is a part of the Antichrist, but there are seeds being planted 
that are everywhere. So you have to make that determination, which draws you back to having to search, ask, seek, and knock, and finding the truth, and the truth will set you free. We're, we're not trying to, to, to come down this road where we are anti-church. That's not it at all. We are anti-anything that is anti-God. So what we are doing, what we're trying to do in having these conversations is come to a conclusion. We're merely planting seed as having this discussion, and we're saying there has to be that consideration. In this day and age, truth has become so subjective. Well, I want to let you know, my friends, that even in the church where truth is supposed to be abounding, truth has become subjective. And I, for one, can't stand for it. So as as we move forward in these podcasts, Please, please consider not putting up walls and, and taking with great humility some of these seeds and looking into them and saying, it, is this something that I can get behind? Is this something that is happening in my own life? And, and is there, and can I, can I identify that spirit of the Antichrist in my own life? Because anything that is Antichrist is anti-instruction, is anti governance by the king is anti-law is anti you know what i mean so it, it really draws us back to having to have that understanding where do we gain that understanding well like dan said we have to go back to who it was written by how it was written and how it was brought into this world through the jewish people and that's that's where i'm trying to learn and understand from and so it's applying these things, taking the time to apply them, but really it has to be steps, right, Dan? I mean, it has to be a slow process. Yeah, it's it's a slow process. You know, the one of the things I think is a good foundational piece just to dwell on and think about this week is one day Jesus is coming back to reign as a king. So when he reigns as a king, what law do you think he will enforce? He will, he'll enforce the word of God. He'll enforce the Torah. Right. When, well, doesn't it say that the law will go forth from Zion? Yeah. Uh, Zion would be the, the spiritual epicenter of the world and the law will be what? Will be the Torah. Torah right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It will be the instructions. Right now we're, we're in a place where we can repent and we can say, God, I don't understand your Torah. I don't understand everything, but I know your ways are right. And I trust you and I ask you to lead me down that path. And as he does, you know, he opens doors and he'll, you know, and he'll show you, he'll give you understanding. And then you get the opportunity to say, okay, hey, I'm going to live this out. And that's the repentance process. And it's a lifelong process. So, you know, I, I know it, I had a seed planted in me. 20, 22 years ago, where it was like I started getting revelation that the kingdom was going to come out of Israel. And it, it started changing my whole perspective. And, you know, and then I remember like five years of sitting there thinking about that. And then another few years. And then all of a sudden I got revelation. I was like, oh, man, this is I get it. And and then it was still like five years before I, you know, I started like putting the little pieces together and then I was able to listen to things and I started listening, learning from some rabbis and, um, you know, and I know there's rabbis, there's, there's good ones and bad ones. There's, you know, there's, it, it's the same all over. There's good and bad and we're sifting through all this, but God will lead you through this process. And, and what, and what happens is he changes your desire 
as you seek him. And that's the new covenant. That's where God says, I'll change your heart. I'll give you a new heart. Well, that's him giving you the desires to want to live and follow his commandments. You know, it's it's whatever level you're at. But the thing is, you enjoy it. You have joy in serving God. And that's the change of heart. God takes your heart and he changes. And all of a sudden, you enjoy living for him. And that's what you're doing when you're accepting Jesus. You're saying, I pledge allegiance to the king. And I'm going to follow the king. And I'm going to do his way. And one day, I'm going to be standing in front of the king. And the king's either going to say, well done, or depart from me, you who were lawless. This this word is not, and, and, and this podcast is not meant to bring a condemnation on anyone. If anything, discipleship, this is what discipleship looks like, is learning applying, growing, and and that's what we seek to do with the How Do I Repent.org podcast. It's to give you the tools as we have learned some and not everything. Like I said, we we are we are not the end of, of of all truth. At the same time, there has to be something after accepting Jesus. There has to be something, there has to be a forward movement what do I do? This is what you do. You work it out with fear and trembling. And the Bible says those who endure until the end will be saved. So there's an opportunity here to take truths, to take to take some of these words and say, hmm, I need to go back. And, and I love, Dan, that you, you put uh, scripture verses to back up all of this uh, so you can read it in context uh, and apply it to your life. And you know what? The reward is is drawing closer to God. That's what the reward is. So I, I would say to you in, in all love, if you feel as though you're not drawing nearer to God, maybe, you know, the, the Bible talks about in Second Chronicles 7, 14, you know, those who are called by my name should, you know, humble themselves, seek my face, turn from your wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive your sin, and I will heal your land. It can't be so much on I am saved, I have nothing more to do. It has to be more of I am saved. Now, what can I do to know God at a deeper level? And so, Dan, let's uh, let's have some closing thoughts and uh, and then we'll jump off here. Accepting Jesus is accepting a responsibility to learn his ways. That, you know, is is probably the the best advice I could give. You're you're coming to this point where you got you got to think of the Bible. God said, I'm the God of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. He didn't say, I'm the God of Daniel, or I'm the God of this person or that person. He said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, you know, we, you got to let that sink in. That means if we're accepting Jesus, and Jesus pointed back to Abraham and Moses, and he said, you know, if you, if you don't listen to Moses, you're not going to believe me. So there's a there's a process God laid out. And the Torah, as you, when we talk about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, when you read through them, there's a story, and it's really a guide to how we can live life. And it takes a few years to really go through and, and just really understand it to where you can look at it and say, oh, hey, this is, this is actually alive. This is talking to me right now. And, you know, the Torah will, as you go through it, it, it forces you to ask questions. So if you're not asking questions as you study, then, you know, you're going to miss out a lot. And that's where it starts requiring this intellect. And God wants this active. He doesn't want a passive relationship. He wants this active relationship where we're, where we're working through it. And then we apply it. We live it out. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the whole journey.
That's a great point, Dan. So that, that, that brings in my closing thought is my friends, without this, without the, this, this, you know, the discussions of what is truth, what is untruth, you know, what is the spirit of the Antichrist look like? What is this evil inclination within me? All of these things. Um, without this, what are we doing? Without this mindset of, of seeking, of asking, of knocking, without this mindset of knowing God at a deeper level and this desire and intent to know God at a deeper level, really, what are we doing? What is discipleship? You know, I've heard it said, you know, some of the most powerful words when, when Jesus left this world uh, and, 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 uh, and ascended to heaven, he said, go therefore and make disciples baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you to obey. That's exactly, that's exactly what we're doing. So if we're, if we're not engaging in these discussions, if we're not searching deeper, what are we doing as disciples? I would encourage you this week to take a step back and in that humility, sit back in that time with, with the Lord and say, um, you know, am I doing what you've called me to do as a disciple? And, and you might hear the answer, no, you're not. And, and I was not. But now as you are taking a step, you're leaving the childish things behind. You're, you're leaving, you know, the milk. You're moving on to the meat of the word. You're, you're gaining understanding. Why? Not to lord it over anybody, not to be the one that has all truth and all knowledge. But what you are doing is you're establishing a closer relationship with God. And you are making an impact in this world. That is what it means to be a disciple, to live as Christ. And so please join us next week as we dive into the Ten Commandments. It's going to be an exciting discussion. We look forward to having you back. And as always, God bless you. And I hope that you take some of this, go back and research it for yourself, and that you gain a greater understanding and a more incredible relationship with God. This is the HowDoIRepent.org podcast.